Y'all, good morning. Um, that Lazarus news is just such a good thing. As Addie mentioned, that's been a partnership uh, for over 15 years for Trinity, and just the, the goodness and the gift of being able to have such a long uh, standing uh, investment uh, in the community here in Atlanta, especially in particular to the men and women who face homelessness in our city. Uh, it's just a gift uh, to be able to come alongside that and see the thousands of lives in our community and around our community change through that. So thank you all for participating in that, especially for those who did hygiene kits. Those kits um, will be a gift. Uh, my name is Brad Malden, by the way. I'm a community pastor here at Trinity um, and I have the privilege today of preaching uh, and be able to dig into God's Word. It's Galatians 2. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're looking at verses 15 to 21. It says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in uh, Jesus Christ. And we've come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our efforts to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. God, we trust that this word has come to us today for a particular reason. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us have hearts to receive, ears to hear, and eyes to see what it is you would have for us today, Holy Spirit. God, the things that we carry into this place, we ask for the grace to be able to let go of them. Or, Lord, if they're the very thing that you want to speak to today, to speak your healing and your hopefulness, Lord, we ask that you would do so. God, I thank you for this body. I thank you for the people in this room and the people in this church and the gift of community. Lord, we ask your grace and the fullness of what you have for us to be in front of us today, Lord. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Y'all, last week, Ashley mentioned that we're going to be sitting in the book of Galatians for the next month or so, which we're excited about because, in particular, uh, what we see the Galatians were facing is similar to what we're facing as a community right now, not just at Trinity, but as a whole. Uh, the same struggles that, we, that they were facing, we are facing. And thousands of years ago, what they were looking at, their unity, was being under threat because of, um, in essence, a really debate over who belongs to God and therefore who belongs to one another. And what you were seeing then and true is now is this reality of uh, political uh, struggles, political reasons, social reasons, um, this sense of maybe even good old-fashioned fear was getting in the way of what it meant to be people of God and therefore what it meant to belong to one another. The Galatians were being offered the sense of um, maybe a gospel that was void of the work of the Spirit and a gospel that was void in some ways of the life, uh, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and Paul rejects that. 
And he says, without those things being the core centerpiece of the gospel, it's no gospel at all. And so he rejects it and points to the Galatians and therefore to us today, this invitation to be able to remember that the central part of what the gospel is, is about Christ crucified and Christ resurrected and the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us to form us and shape us. And Paul says it's those two things that when you combine them together are what makes it uh, us, us. It's what makes us belong to the Lord and belong to one another. It's about Christ crucified. It's about Christ resurrected. And it's about the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes upon his ascension to make us the people of God, the people who belong to one another and the people who belong to the kingdom of God. And that is what it means to be a believer. That is what it means to be Christian. Now, today in the text, what you see is that Paul really digs deeper into this idea of the faithfulness of Jesus, that it's the faithfulness of Jesus that really forms us and shapes us to help us become the people God calls us to become. Now, what's exciting for me in particular this morning is that uh, this text is full of like lots of like really heady theological jargon, things like justification, things like what do we do with the reality of the covenant of God with the Jewish people now that we have Gentiles and how these things are blended together, the story of God in regards to the law of God. All those things are really complicated things that makes people's heads explode. And the beautiful thing is that Ashley Matthews each and every week is going to do a 20-minute video where she totally nerds out on the theology of these things, the implications of these things. And we get to live into those things on Mondays. Go to our website, get those 20 minutes, dig deep into it. Y'all, what I'm going to do is instead focus on really the pastoral reality of what I think Paul is trying to say to us in this place and in this space. So nerd out all you want, look on our website, um, and I will uh, hopefully lean into the sense of what it means to be a faithful person, to receive the faithfulness of Christ this morning. At large, what Paul is saying here is that our identity is rooted in Jesus. The centerpiece of what he was pushing back against was that the Galatians were being taught and arguing over whether your identity was rooted in anything other than Jesus. The things you would do, the things you would say, the things you would wear, the things you wouldn't wear, the things you'd eat, the things you wouldn't eat, the circumcision conversation, all of these things, in essence, were side items to the main dish, and the main dish is Jesus Christ. Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us. And Paul is saying that is our identity. That is what binds us together. That's what makes us, us as a body of believers, that we are rooted in Jesus. That's why he says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Our identity is in the faithfulness of Jesus. And Paul tells us that this is something that's given to us. The faithfulness of Christ is a gift given to us. It's not something we earn. It's not something we achieve. It's not some sort of like uh, formula that if you add things up together, you get. It is a gift freely given to us by the Lord himself. And because of that, we can receive it freely. And we can enjoy and rejoice in the gift of that because it's, the thing is, is we get to live off the faith of Jesus, right? Like what it means to receive the faithfulness of Jesus for us is that we get to kind of like harness his momentum. We get to kind of like borrow the wind in his sails, if you will, as we move towards the Lord and we move towards one another. It's the faithfulness of Jesus that now lives in us. And what that faithfulness was, was this constant belief in the goodness of God this never-ending belief in the goodness of God and what that meant for him and for Jesus in that space was that no matter what his circumstances were, he viewed those circumstances through the lens of a good God, a God who had no limit to his ability to redeem the moment. 
And the faithfulness of Jesus was on full display through his life. And what we see is that that life was fully redeemed, right? And you'll hear me say this again more than once this morning. Jesus' life was fully validated by God. His life was validated by God. How do we know that his life was validated by God, right? He came back to what? Life. Our fate, not to be fatalistic here, but what fate do we all share? Death. We're all going to die. And it's proof that our life is not fully lived in our own capacity. The proof that Jesus' life was the fullest, most abundant life is the fact that God brought him back to life. And Paul is saying we get to share in that life. We get to share in the faithfulness of Jesus, and it gives us something. It does something for us, y'all. And it doesn't just save us. That faith does indeed save us, but being saved in the sense of like just waiting for death for something good to come to us is not just what the faithfulness of Jesus is about. The faithfulness of Jesus saves us, but it also shapes us. His faithfulness does save us, but it also shapes us. It forms us. It makes us into something more whole and more substantive that prepares us for the life to come. But that life to come is ready and present and available to us right here and right now. And the faithfulness of Jesus is something we can receive that will, that will form and shape us into becoming the people of God. And I think it does it in probably lots of ways, but I'm just choosing three today. I think the first thing in the way that the faithfulness of Jesus shapes us is that faith liberates us. The faithfulness of Jesus liberates us. Paul says that we're justified by faith, that we are made right with God through Jesus. The actions and the goodness of Jesus is what makes us right with God, y'all. That's the good news, right? It liberates us because it reminds us that we have nothing to prove. We have nothing to prove to God. We have nothing to prove to God, and therefore we have nothing to prove to one another. And that is really good news, y'all. When you think about it, when you think about the people in your life in which you know you have nothing to prove, that fills you, I would imagine, with tremendous peace, right? Knowing that I don't have to do anything to prove anything to you or to make you love me more or to think that I am a worthy person is the most liberating thing in the world. It fills us with peace and joy and gentleness all the fruits of the Spirit kind of emerge out of that sense of having nothing to prove, realizing and remembering that we are not a product of our achievements. The faithfulness of Jesus does that for us. It liberates to live into that reality where we no longer have anything to prove to God or to one another. And that is really, really good news. It liberates us to live in a way that means no more striving. No more striving, y'all. Is that true for you? As I've been sitting with this text this week, I have been completely convicted that striving does not describe my life. Ceaselessly striving. I'm always striving. I'm always working. I would think in my head I'm not doing it to prove anything to anybody, but y'all, this has been super convicting for me to sit in the truth that I have nothing to prove, that I'm perfectly safe in the kingdom of God as a gift from God. It liberates me to remove myself from being a product of achievement to realize I no longer have to prove anything to God or others. It liberates me. And Paul tells us it liberates us because we are free because of Jesus' faithfulness. That's what Jesus' faithfulness does for you and me. It allows us to love and to live the way Jesus did. Jesus loved freely because he knew he was loved by God. He knew he was fully loved by God. And so he was able to live and to love freely. He was able to give himself away. Because it's what we know, as long as we're trying to prove something... As long as we are trying to earn something, what we know is that we will view others as competition. 
We view others as a, with an eye of suspicion, right? Like a sense of like competition or a sense of an, as an opponent because we're going to be living in this sense of scarcity with one another. We'll look at other people with an eye of suspicion or at the very sense we'll move towards others with a sense of self-interest in mind. And Paul says you are liberated from that. Jesus' faithfulness liberates from that life. He frees us to freely love others. He frees us to freely love others, to move towards others with a sense of openness and an open posture, with an honesty and a transparency and a generosity. Jesus liberates us to live into the reality of those types of characteristics that we hope to have in our most closest relationships and honestly even with strangers, even with people who oppose us. We hope to be people who would be generous and honest and transparent. And Paul is saying Jesus liberates us to live as those people. He frees us to live as those people. Does this describe you? Honesty and transparency and generosity and openness. Are those the prevalent descriptors for your life? Because this is what it means that we are freed by Jesus to accept his faith, to live off of his faithfulness is a way that frees us to move towards one another in a non-anxious and a non-judgmental way, in a transparent, open, and generous way. For our premarital process here at Trinity, we uh, talk a lot about these ideas of family systems, you know, that you have a system and you have a system, and the reality of those systems is that you are formed and shaped by your family, right? Like a family of origin, you've come from a place, and those places have taught you about what's normal, they told you about what's not normal, they develop your likes and your dislikes, they create your reality in many ways. And what happens when you have two people coming into relationships, whether it's marriage or not, is that you see these two systems collide. And that's called relationship. And what's amazing about those relationships is the overlap, right? The overlapping parts of those systems are a beautiful thing. Because what this system wants and what this system wants is the same exact thing. And that is gold. Some relational advice, some free relational advice. If you're looking for friendship or you're looking for a romantic relationship, you want a lot of overlap. If you don't have that overlap, I mean, you're in for a really fun treat, right? Like nothing but opposition all the time. You want the overlap because it's sweet. It's beautiful. My wife loves Mexican food. I love Mexican food. When we say, what do you want for dinner? We don't even have to answer the question. We're like, cheese dip, right? Like that is a wonderful thing. But the truth of what's happening in that space is I don't have to give up anything and my wife doesn't have to give up anything, right? Like we're not opposing one another in that place and we rejoice in that. But the reality is, is there's a lot of uh, area beyond that overlap, and that's where the real struggle in our relationships comes from. It's because I want something and you want something, they don't agree with each other. And so what happens is we have all these expectations that we're not communicating to one another, and then we have all these unmet expectations that were never communicated to each other. And what happens in those spaces, the sin in us tells us to move away from one another. The sin in us says, I have to win. And so if I don't move away from you, I'm going to actually turn towards you so I can defeat you, so I can get what I want. And what God is saying and what, through Paul here in this text is, y'all, what can happen in the kingdom of God through the faithfulness of Jesus is you can move towards one another. The unmet expectations, the hurts, the differences, all of those things are no longer threats because of the faithfulness of Jesus. We can move towards one another. We can give ourselves freely to others because we are not defined by getting our way. We're not defined by getting what we want. The world tells us that's bad news. The kingdom tells us this is how the kingdom works. This is actually the most free life you could ever live. 
And Jesus' faithfulness liberates us to live into that space, to move towards one another, to move towards one another when we are in opposition with one another. He frees us to freely love others. But we will not know this is true until we know that we are loved by God. We will not be free, we will not be liberated until we know and can sit and be saturated in the truth that God loves you as you. Jesus knew he was loved by God. And so Jesus was able to turn towards others freely. And the invitation is there for us as well to more fully understand the depths of God's love for us. Earlier this spring, my wife and family and I were down at the beach. And I was sitting at the pool. And we had these little dino toys that you throw into the pool. And they sink and the kids go get them. And they're like little puppies. Like you can do this literally for hours. And they go and they get them. They drop them down. They're like, do it again, do it again, do it again. So I was just doing that, just sitting there, like living the life, because it's the most like way that you can feel like you're doing something good without having to do anything at all, which is like the best, right, the best scenario possible. So I'm like throwing these things in, my kids are retrieving them, and then all of a sudden this little one and a half year old little boy like waddles up, and I mean they're dinos, and so he starts playing with them, and they're like right on my hip, and so this strange stranger, not strange. The stranger little kid comes up and is like all up in my business and it's COVID time. So like you can't get super close to anybody you don't know. And the dad like runs over. He's like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I don't care. This is great. He's happy. We're happy. And so the dad had that moment where he's like, do I leave now? You know, like my kid's content, but he's with a strange man. So, um, and so he does that, like, I'm going to sit like six feet away from you. Um, and we start small talking, you know, and he's like, you know, so where are you from? And we do that whole thing. And then when we get to the what do you do part, this is my favorite part always of any conversation I have with strangers when I say I'm a pastor, uh, because the conversation goes in one of two directions. Um, it's like either total shutdown, like power down, like don't know what to say. Uh, this guy's a pastor. If I say anything, it's going to be like confession time. I don't know. So people just go silent like radio silent completely. This guy, bold as he was, went the other direction. He's like, oh, you're a pastor. This is great. So he leans into the conversation. We start talking about, he's like, oh, I grew up in church, but I haven't been in a long time thinking about going now that I've got a kid. And we're, you know, this conversation and banter is going back and forth. And and we hit a point in the conversation where it just struck me. And I said, you know, this may seem like a bold question, but do you believe that God loves you the way that you love your son? Do you believe that God sees you the way that you see your son. Because I'm watching this guy love his son, adoring him, loving him, fully engaged, fully present. Do you believe that the Lord who created you sees you the same exact way that you see your son in this moment? And this grown man, total stranger, just starts sobbing. What he experienced was truth. What he experienced was the liberation of the faithfulness of Jesus, that in Christ, God sees us the way he sees Jesus. God sees us the way he sees Jesus, y'all, and that liberates us. It liberates us to, to not prove anything anymore to God or to other people. And because of that, we can give generously, we can be transparent, we can be open. We don't have to play it so tight. We don't have to hold on to things so tightly. That's the faithfulness of Jesus. It liberates us because God sees us the way he sees Jesus. That's good news. That is the gospel. It is good news for you and for me. 
And as I've been sitting out with that reality this week, I've been so challenged by the sense that I hold back. I've been so challenged by the fact that I don't give freely. And all week I've been asking myself, Lord, where are you asking me to let go of something? Where are you asking me to, instead of holding on so tightly, just to let it go? And to not necessarily drop it, but to say, if I open my hands to this, something good will happen because you are you and you're good. Now to ask you the same question, where in your life right now do you sense the Lord is nudging you towards holding, uh, letting go of something that you're holding on to so tightly? Maybe where he's nudging you to have a more uh, narrative of abundance instead of scarcity. Not believing that you have to circle up and circle your wagons around the things that are in front of you that you love. Being willing to let go of them in many ways can become the liberation that God wants for you. Where are you holding on right now where the Lord may be asking you to let go? The faithfulness of Jesus liberates us to live freely, to give freely, to love freely, to be generous. But it also emboldens us. And that's the second point here. The faithfulness of Jesus emboldens us. Paul says that Christ lives within us. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That truth does and should embolden us. Right? Like, as I said earlier, Jesus' life was fully validated by God. His life was fully validated by God. He came back to life. The life Jesus lived conquered death. That life lives in you and lives in me. And that should embolden us. It should allow us to move freely towards the will of God with a sense of boldness. Now, I will say this about boldness. Boldness, boldness and reckless are not the same thing right? Like boldness says, I'm going to have courage to move with strength and courage into something when I don't know the outcome of something. Boldness says, I don't, I'm going to act even though I don't know the outcome. I'm not certain of the results, but I'm still going to move forward. Reckless says, I don't really care about the outcome. I'm just going to act. God's not inviting us to recklessness. He's inviting us into boldness. This move in the same way that Jesus did, who seemed to be able to move boldly towards the will of God because he knew that no matter what, God was good. He knew that no matter what, that God's goodness would overcome whatever challenges that he faced. So Jesus moved forward in doing the will of God, and he moved forward with boldness. He knew that it was going to be a difficult road to follow, for sure, but he still moved forward because he knew that he was ultimately in good hands. And Jesus is telling us that we are invited to do the same thing. Paul says Christ lives in you and me, and so we can move boldly towards the will of God. And yet when I'm honest with myself and honest with the people I look around and see, y'all, I don't see us living that way. I don't see us living with boldness. I see us living in fear. I see us living with scarcity. I see us living with like a tight squeeze around the life that we want. And when I reflect on this in my own life, what I realize is that so often I believe that I think I am in charge of something, right? Like I believe what God is most interested in is my success, my determination of an outcome. I believe at my core that I'm supposed to manufacture a particular outcome. And what we see here is that that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not in the business of manufacturing outcomes. That's God's job. God is the one who controls those outcomes. We get to be called to be faithful in the moment to the process, not knowing exactly where this road ends. 
And the faithfulness of Jesus emboldens us to move in that direction in the same way that Christ did. And the reason we know we can go down that road is because Christ was validated by the resurrection. Christ came back to life. And so as we walk down the road of God's will, not knowing exactly what the outcome would be, what we know ultimately is that the process may be a hard one, it may be a good one, it may be easy, it may be challenging, but what we know is that the very end of that road is a God who has no limit, a God whose redemptive hand can redeem anything and all things. And as I've been sitting with this this week, I've been challenged by the question in my life, like where in my life do I sense that God is asking me to move boldly? Where is he asking me to take a risk, to do the things that he wants done, and yet I hesitate? Where I feel this invitation to move forward, knowing full well that this is the thing God hopes for, and yet I'm going to resist that a little bit because I'm not sure exactly how this whole thing will pan out. I don't know exactly how the story will end And y'all, Jesus' faithfulness shapes us because we know how the story ends. Jesus' faithfulness knows exactly how the story ends. The story ends with God redeeming and restoring. Right? Like God resurrects and God redeems and restores. And that's the good news. That's the hope that we have as we face difficult circumstances. As we face the processes that are put in front of us that don't feel so good, that are full of challenges This is the truth that we get to live into. And so we get to move boldly into those spaces, knowing that it won't be simple. And y'all, I don't know what that means for you today. When you hear the question, where do you sense the Lord is asking you to take a risk? Where do you sense he's asking you to put one foot over the edge? Where do you sense he's asking you to move forward to join the work that he wants done? I have no idea what is stirred up in you. I have no idea what the Holy Spirit wants to do with that reality. But what I do know this is that the kingdom of God is about risk. The kingdom of God is about risk because it's risk in which we learn to trust God. Risk takes us to the places where we recognize we are not in control. And it's the place where we meet a good father. A couple weeks ago, I took a group of, of guys from our church to the Colorado wilderness. And the reason we, we go is, is, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the primary things is this. Uh, you can go to the beach, uh, but the thing about the beach is you're never intimidated by it or scared by it, right? Unless it's like a hurricane, right? Like the reality is you sit on the beach and you just hear like the lulling, the waves and the beautiful sunsets. You're like, this is pretty, but you're never like stirred. Fear does not stir up in you. The reality of the wilderness is every time you go into the wilderness, it's beautiful, it's stunning, it's gorgeous, but you're always a little intimidated. You're always a little scared. Because the reality is you begin to experience how small you are in the context of God's largeness. You realize how out of control you are. And we spend most of our lives running from those situations. We spend most of our lives running from places where we are not in control. And the Lord's faithfulness liberates us to move into those places where we are not in control and to experience that God is who he says he is. To experience that God is faithful. And so we can come and take the, the invitation to put one foot over the edge and God meets us in that space. Jesus' faithfulness emboldens us to move into those places beyond our control So I ask you again, where in your life right now are you sensing that the Lord is asking you to step into a place of boldness and some risk-taking that you're hesitant because you're not sure the outcome? 
And I ask you this, I'll just say that, you know, that you could receive the words that I feel like Paul is saying to us is to have courage. Because the same Jesus who lives inside you is the same Jesus whose life overcame death. And because of that, we can live with the confidence that no matter where God takes us, he will meet us there. But what we know is that those places can be difficult, right? That journey can be full of challenges. It can be full of ups and downs. It can be full of pain and loss and struggle. But what we learn in these places is the third point is that that journey into the places beyond our control is where we learn that our faith strengthens us. So it liberates us to open our hands and emboldens us to move forward, but it also strengthens us to find hope in the places of struggle. It strengthens us to find hope in the places of pain and in places of sorrow. That's what Jesus' faithfulness does for us. It allows us to see that ultimately we are not in control of our circumstances and our processes. We're not in charge of outcomes, y'all. And there is a false gospel that has like seeped its way into American culture that says your life is defined by your successes or your failures to achieve the desired outcomes. Life is a failure if you don't get what you want. It's a success if you get what you want. And somehow we've tied that reality, that like A plus B equals C reality to the gospel itself. And we've distorted it to believe that like a good life is one that is blessed from hardship. That people who struggle and suffer somehow in the back of our minds, we have a narrative that says that that, they must have been getting what they deserved. That they haven't been faithful enough. Y'all, the prosperity gospel is a lie. It's a distortion of truth. And the reality is, is that sometimes we have good days and sometimes we have really bad days. And the thing that's true and always true and that Paul is trying to accentuate for us is that the power of the resurrected Jesus in light of reality is with you. And because of that, you can be strengthened. Because of that, you can face the things that are in front of you and in front of me with hopefulness. The devil wants to rob us of that hopefulness. And Jesus' faithfulness is the very thing that says you can be steady in the midst of the uncertainty. You can be certain in the midst of your challenges and the hopelessness and you can have hope. Jesus' faithfulness gives us hope. A few months ago, I uh, had the opportunity to preach and, and the text was on the, uh, the woman, the hemorrhaging woman and Jairus' daughter who uh, was passing away and there was uh, an invitation to pray for healing uh, from Jesus and to trust ultimately that the goodness of God is still going to make its way to us. And I shared in that space, if you were here, about our nanny who was she had COVID. And we were praying. I felt that week of, of being in that text was an invitation to pray with boldness that God would heal, that God would heal her body. And y'all, God did not heal her body in the way that I prayed for. And she passed away probably two weeks after we preached that sermon. And, you know, I mean, the, the truth is, is that I, it's hard. You know, the truth is, is I miss somebody deeply. I hurt for my children who miss somebody deeply. I hurt for her family who've lost a beloved human that gave life and goodness and joy and humor. The world is not better off without her. We are not better off without her. 
In the last few months, I've been very honest with the Lord about uh, my anger around that, my confusion around that, my disappointment, to be honest with you, that God did not do what I asked him to do. My frustration around that reality, y'all, I've been very honest with the Lord. And I don't know what you bring into the room today, but my guess is if you're human, you bring struggle, you bring pain, you also bring joy. There's great things in life and there's hard things in life. And I would just say to you that if you have a narrative in your head that God doesn't want to hear your gripes, uh, I encourage you to, to practice. Complain to the Lord. Truly. Tell him your frustrations. Tell him your anger. Tell him your disappointments. Because what I have found, I think, is true for all of us is that when I have been honest with the Lord in that space, somehow, in the same exact way, in the same exact moment, my faith has strengthened. What I've found is that the faithfulness of Jesus has somehow like tethered me to a, a, a bolder, heavier anchor in this season of loss than maybe ever before. And we're tempted to run away from the Lord's promise to us. But y'all, lean into his promise. Lean into his faithfulness. Be honest and open, but also understand that in the midst of those struggles, somehow our faith is more deepened in those spaces. When we know that the faithfulness of Jesus can reach us, it gives us hope. And what we know is the harder times seem to strengthen us more than the easy times, right? C.S. Lewis said that. God whispers to us in our pleasure and he shouts to us in our pain. And this season has been a hard season. There's no doubt about that. And yet I found myself leaning more than ever before on the faithfulness of Jesus. I found myself that the truth that the faithfulness of Jesus conquered death is what gives me hope. That as a grown-up, I can look at reality with total honesty and believe that God's redemptive hand can get there too. That there's nothing beyond his redemptive reach. And that is our faith. Our faith is built around the fact that God doesn't save us from hard things, but he makes sure that the hard things do not define us. The hard things do not have the final word. Jesus knew that, and he, gets us, he lets us live off of that faithfulness as well. That the hard things will not define us because they don't have the final word. And this is why Paul over and over again in Galatians, refers to Christ the Messiah. Jesus Christ the Messiah. Jesus Christ the Messiah. Jesus Christ the Messiah. The Jesus who was died and who was resurrected and in his ascension gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit is the central piece of the gospel. Everything else is a side item. We hang our hat and our hope on the reality of a resurrected Jesus who conquered death, and by his ascension gave us the Holy Spirit that can live in you and me, who forms and shapes us to become the men and women of God, who collectively become the community of God. Y'all, this is what the world needs. They need men and women of peace. They need men and women whose peace is rooted in the faithfulness of Jesus. Men and women who can live freely, who can love freely and give generously, not because they just want to be a good person, but because they have received the gift of God. People who are willing to move boldly into the will of God, to see the will of God be done, 
Not because they just want to grin grin and bear it. They don't want to just white knuckle their way through it, but because they know when they put their feet over the edge that they are met by a good and faithful father. And then people who can speak hopefulness into pain. People who are honest about it. Who don't just whitewash it and move on and act like nothing's there because that's what Christians do. They're just happy people. But people who in faithfulness can say and call a spade a spade and say this is hard and difficult, but Jesus overcame and we know he did because his life was brought back. That is our faithfulness, y'all. That is what we aspire to be. That is what Paul is calling us to. And he's saying, hang your hat on this. This is the driving point. This is the main thing. And the main thing for us is that we follow the resurrected Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Y'all stand up if you're able, please.